Jesus, thank you that you saved me. He is the reason that we've come together here today because of our common bond that we found in Jesus, because of the salvation that we have found in him. Thank you to our praise band for leading us in worship. Thank you, Reed, for picking the songs there for you. Thank you, Reed. Thank you for your good work that you've done, and appreciate you serving the Lord in this way as well. We're in uh, Old Testament book, 1 Kings chapter 19. Would you find 1 Kings chapter 19? And uh, follow along with me as I read here in just a moment. But we're glad that you've come today. Glad to be a part of this worship service on this Memorial Day. We do remember those who gave their lives so that we might be able to experience the freedoms that we have, in particular the freedom that we have to be able to worship today. Uh, I was reminded we're thankful for those who've given their lives, many over the last 2,000 years who've given their lives for Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, many missionaries who are still out today, many who are persecuted. We want to give thanks for that. We're also reminded of the ultimate sacrifice that, that Jesus gave for us so that we might be able to have salvation. We recognize and it is the reason that we've gathered here as well. We are in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read reading verses 1 through 12. I encourage you to leave your Bibles open. Also, this now is the word of God. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying... So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, he rose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake... But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. There were two men who lived in a certain town who were brothers. And the brothers, they were considered to be mean and not good. In fact, they would often cheat people. They would manipulate. They would lie in order to be able to get what they want. They became very wealthy men of that town, owned a lot of real estate, involved in the town government, a lot of other things in the town, which not necessarily in a good way. One of the brothers dies. And the remaining brother goes to the local pastor and asks the local pastor if he'd preach his funeral. And he says to him, if you'll say that my brother was a saint, I'll give a large sum of money to you, the church. Well, the preacher, not without some pause, considered it, and he thought, well, church could, sure could use the money, so he said, I'll do it. So at the funeral, he preached, and he said, this man who lies before you was one of the meanest men in our town. He would cheat you, lie to you, never has a kind word to say about anyone, and nobody ever had any kind word to say about him, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. 
first phrase of chapter 19 that we read should have brought interest and attention to you. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Even if you don't know about the Bible, you probably know have heard of Jezebel, the wicked queen, and her husband Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. Kind of like the people that you already know that even if you're not in church, you don't read the Bible, you know names perhaps like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. You might know some of these names and some of the good stories in the Bible. But then you also might know the stories of or at least heard the names of Queen Jezebel and King Ahab as some of the worst we got, as some of the wicked ones in the Bible that we may know of in the Old Testament. When it comes to people in general, and particularly as the rulers of God's people, they were not very good. Ahab, particularly as cruel and mean, worshipped idols, led his own people into unfaithfulness, but compared to Jezebel, he was a saint. Ahab, the tattletale to Jezebel, Jezebel, who was, on, was not on Mount Carmel in chapter 18 in the famous showdown between the lone Elijah who stood before the false prophets of the God, small g, Baal. They were both calling for their God to send fire upon the altar. And after Elijah built a, an altar and soaked it with water and he called down and fire came down and soaked up the altar as well as the sacrifice that was laid thereon. And all the people declared, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then after three and a half years of no famine, of, of famine and no rain, Elijah prayed and the Lord sent rain, a great and powerful storm. Before Ahab gave her the news, Jezebel may have thought that Baal, who was supposedly the storm god, had sent the rain upon the earth. But clearly it was Yahweh who was supposed to be their god as well. Ahab seems to take the defeat pretty well, though his heart did not change. But kind of showing his weakness, he comes and perhaps he can't wait to tell Queen Jezebel in anticipation of what she might do. And upon hearing all that Elijah had done and that all the prophets that had been killed of the false god of Baal, she sends word to Elijah, you got 24 hours. 24 hours and your life is going to be like the life of the prophets of Baal. She swears on an oath on her own life that she will end Elijah's life. Now, Elijah does not react like we think the great prophet of God should act in this situation. He spirals down in deep depression. So much so that he asks God to take his own life. He is ready to die. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, and even geographically, he digresses about as far as he can go. Which, from a reader's standpoint, we might not quite understand because it seems he has showed, has had such great victory and showed such great faith, perhaps that he is one of the prophets of God who cannot be brought down, which proves the idea. Or this may be where we're first learning that after great victory comes great testing. And just about anyone is susceptible to despair. Without a show of hands, how many of you have been actually in a place, maybe physically, emotionally, spiritually, or wherever, to where you've been so low that maybe you were wondered if you, there was any hope for anything better to take place? You understand, don't you? Now, that's not a question, Mark, you understand, don't you? But it's a statement because for most of us, you understand the difference between depression versus dependence on God. Depression versus dependence on God. Now, that's not to say that if you've ever been depressed or worried or anxious, it means that you've lost your faith in God. Depression is a feeling or a state of mind and sometimes an attitude. And to some extent, we may have no control over up to a point. The difference is what we do during these times of despair. 
Elijah had no control over Queen Jezebel or how she was going to react to what God had done and perhaps he had little control over how he was going to feel or how any of us would feel that would have the threat of our very life being taken from us. Thus, this was the catalyst that led to his depression. Now, not everyone can easily see what brings them down or why they're in a low point or a state of depression. Sometimes we just know that we're not at a good place. But because of the details of the scripture, we can determine some of the reasons and conclude some of the causes for Elijah's depression. And these may be relatable to you and me as well. So here are some of the causes of, of his depression for Elijah and others. You may want to jot some of these down. Some of it surely had to do with physical exhaustion. Often, lack of rest or stress or worry after much activity can cause you to be physically exhausted. Assuming the events of 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19 and the beginning of that happened in a very short time frame. After the showdown on Mount Carmel, which lasted a full day, we find Elijah goes to the top of the mountain and there he prays to God and he stays there until the rain begins to fall. Then the Bible says that he runs from the top of the mountain all the way to the city of Jezreel, which is a distance of about 17 miles. And what probably seems more miraculous is they ran there at the same time that Ahab was in a chariot heading the same way, and he arrives in the city of Jezreel before Ahab arrives running all of those 17 miles, surely at the provision of God. And as soon as Ahab tells Jezebel she put a contract on Elijah's head, and Elijah immediately flees to the city of Beersheba, now we've got a map maybe showing you. If you can see the top part of that map, don't worry about the bottom part, but you see where Jezreel is and on the southern part of Jerusalem, southern part after going through Jerusalem, there's Beersheba. It's a distance of about 100 miles. We read a moment ago to where when he gets to Beersheba, he leaves his servant and travels a day's journey. We don't know exactly how far, maybe about 15 miles further south. And there he finds a broom tree sometimes translated as a juniper tree, probably more of a large bush that's found there in the wilderness. But no doubt physical exhaustion played a part in Elijah's low state. It's amazing how a little bit of rest sometimes can uh, help you to be able to see your situation or the things that you're going through or how to make, helps you to be able to see things a little bit more clearly. If you've been burning the candles at both ends, maybe even this weekend gives you an opportunity maybe even to rest maybe just a little bit. But it's amazing those people who are really, really busy, they find themselves ways to be busy even when they have days off. So sometimes that happens. So more important, of course, is the rest and the peace that we're able to find in Jesus. And we're going to be addressing that in just a few moments. But before we leave the map, can we put the map back up there before we leave the map? Do y'all have, oh, yes, we do. You see, Beersheba, as you see that, and if you can see the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, well, Beersheba represents the most southern part of Israel and Judah. It is the most southern part of the land of promise, the land of Palestine, however we want to be able to, to say that. In fact, the Bible often talks about in geographical terms, it talks about the promised land, that it was everything from Dan to Beersheba. So he had not only spiritually gone to the lowest place that he could go, but he had gone actually to the geographically place. Again, stressing he's a very low point in just about every way imaginable. How many of you have maybe traveled 
to Key West, and maybe you've gone to that most southern point. I think we've got a picture of it here, the most southern point in continental United States. Maybe you recognize that if you've been there. You've gone, probably stood in line so that you could stand next to it. You'd be at the most southern point that you could be. Well, it kind of represents, that's kind of like Beersheba. It is the most southern point that you could be in the land of Israel or the land of Judah. It's where he went, and he went a little bit further. Now, how many ask you, how many have ever driven from Auburn, Alabama, or anywhere around to Key West? It's a long drive. And if you've driven it, you're probably tired when you got there, and that's in the car. And here we have, of course, we have Elijah who has gone physically. He's walked or ran to wherever he has gone. Now, so we've talked about these things, and boy, I didn't realize what time of year it is. I've mentioned Key West. If you've already floated away to Jimmy Buffett land. Would you come on back as we continue to talk about these things? Also, he probably felt, he did feel, he felt like a failure. Read again, if you would, verse 4. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4 says, But himself, but he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness, came and sat under a broom tree. He asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. Now, no one have looked at Elijah's life at any time would have considered him a failure. Yet at this point, he thought he was. His influence had not brought about the change or the lasting change he'd hoped for God's people. And even though the people had declared the Lord, he is God, the true transformation of Israel had not yet taken place. He's praying for God even to take his very life. Does it help to know that when you're in a state of depression, that the Reality may be different from what your perception is at that very moment. You may think how terrible things are. Even you may be feeling like a failure, but you need to realize that that's not the way things are, particularly if you're a person in Christ. Lord, help us to see who we are in Christ because we know that in Christ no one is a failure. He's already brought victory and wants us to live a life of victory found in Him. A few times I have surveyed congregations, not just this congregation, but others, and and ask them, what topic would you like to hear about? What topic would you like to hear the Bible talk about? And almost without fail, it has come back to the top ten that somebody has mentioned, or among the top ten that it would be that they'd want to hear something about suicide, or is suicide the unforgivable sin? In one particular survey, it was the second most requested. In a, uh, another church that I surveyed, I, I, asked the, I had the adult, Surveys come in first, tallied those up, and they didn't quite make the top ten until I had the students and the teenagers fill out the same survey, and thus it made the top ten. Surely there's no doubt that this year, things that we need to address, certainly from a biblical perspective, we've addressed them before from this very pulpit. In fact, in 2021, I preached a sermon entitled, Is Suicide the Unforgivable Sin? Using this passage as well as others. We've had a couple of... Uh, uh, extended Bible studies on this subject about depression, anxiety, and mental illness. We've had a seminar recently one weekend. I've come to the conclusion that as a church that these are things that we need to address and need to continue to address and help people to deal with believers and non-believers. One interesting statistic about suicides in the United States in 2020. In a year of the pandemic, economic stress, isolation, much less than stellar news, and when it was predicted that there would be many suicides, the actual suicide rate went down in 2020 by 5%. However, there was a dramatic increase 
in those who considered ending their own life. It's been estimated that 10% adult Americans considered ending their own life in 2020. Not to mention the one in five college students every year consider suicide. And Pastor Bobby tells us that among teens it is one in four. Thankfully, most do not go through and many find help, but that doesn't mean that we do not need to continue to address it. As a matter of fact, if we say we have 400 people today in our first service and second service and maybe those who would be listening online today, that would mean that there would be, statistically speaking, 40 people who have considered taking their own life of those that we're talking to and many more perhaps who know somebody who's considered attempted or lost someone. For these reasons, I'm going to encourage you today, don't drift away. Listen to what God's words has to say. If not for you, then for someone else that's battling depression and worry and anxiety and mental illness. Now, just a handful of suicides in the Bible. One of those is the King Saul and his armor bearer. When they realized that they were surrounded and defeated, they fell on their own sword. And the most infamous in the New Testament, of course, would be Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. All are examples of people who were in despair and chose to remain in a state of failure rather than place their confidence in the living God. But another reason that Elijah perhaps led to his depression was guilt, that he felt guilty. The feeling of guilt will often lead to despair. It's a tool that Satan uses, causing us to feel guilty even as believers who've been forgiven of sin. We probably need a quick lesson on perhaps forgiveness, perhaps. We we understand that the moment that we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins with sincerity, because Jesus is the only one who has perfected forgiveness, we know that he has removed all of our sins. He has forgiven us of all of our sins. In fact, the Bible paints for us in pictures. He said he's taken that sin, he's buried it in the deepest part of the sea. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. And this was made available by the blood of Jesus. In Christ, you're no longer slaves to sin or to guilt. That is the byproduct of sin because God is holy. We realize that he cannot overlook sin. A punishment had to be paid and Jesus paid that price for, for us. And the moment we come into the family of God, we're forgiven of all sins. All sins, past, present, and even future sins. Now, repentance is necessary. Understanding that repentance is choosing to love Jesus and the ways of God and not love sin and the ways of this world. Yeah, we're, we're still sinners. We're saved by grace and we still commit sin. Daily confession is necessary for a growing relationship with Jesus. And sometimes you're going to feel guilty, but that's not from God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But feeling guilty and being guilty are not the same thing. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4, we have Elijah, he says, For I am no better than my fathers. The fathers meaning the people of Israel who lived before and lived sinful lives. Elijah, at his low point, felt sinful and guilty. Again, guilt can be a feeling that is overcome by faith and moving forward because you know Jesus has forgiven you. By the way, Suicide is not the unforgivable sin, for all who are in Christ are completely saved. However, chained and bound by guilt or to feel that suicide is the only viable option stands in deep contrast to the message of hope found in Jesus. But I want to tell you today that if you're in need of repentance, if you know that you've not yet asked Christ to forgive you of your sin, if you've not asked Jesus to come in, you can know that Jesus 
today is ready to hear from you. He has you here today. He has those listening today. If you don't know Christ, so that you might be forgiven of sin, so that you might know there's hope, hope for this life and hope for the next. Elijah surely felt hopeless. He spoke as if not just Jezebel, but all of Israel was out to get him. It seems that Elijah should have known that just as God had done miraculous things in the past, God would not leave him without hope. The Lord has done great things for me. The Lord has done great things for you. As a follower of the Lord Jesus, he's transformed your life. He's given you eternal life, a home in heaven. Then how hard is it to believe that he wants to give you hope for today? And again, if Elijah can feel hopeless, should we not believe that it may could happen to any one of us and we need to be aware. Also, he felt lonely. We're told in verse 3, he left his servant and he went into the wilderness. I didn't even know he had a servant. But this detail is given so that we might understand that he was all alone. He went to the wilderness. Now, we talked about wilderness. I remember when I was younger and we talked about the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites or wilderness in the Bible. I always thought that they were wandering around in the woods somewhere. But then I saw it. And I realized we talk about wilderness in the east or in the Middle East. We're not talking about the forest. We're talking about the desert. Elijah felt all alone and deserted. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 10, he said, Look, at all that I've done, and now I'm the only one left. You understand, don't you? You know what it feels to be all alone. Even if you're not truly alone, sometimes you feel like you're the only one who cares. And Elijah is going to discover he is not alone. Remnant of 7,000 other Israelites talked about later in this chapter who have not bowed their knees to, uh, knees to other gods and continue to be faithful to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the Lord himself will come to Elijah again. Well, today, can I tell you, you're not alone. In fact, God has come to you today, and he wants you to know that he loves you and he cares for you. You can also know that you're surrounded by people who love you also, people who love Jesus and who care about the same things that you care about. But another cause, maybe the main cause for Elijah was fear. Maybe this should have been the very first reason listed for Elijah's despair. It's the most obvious for Elijah. For in verse 3, it says that he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. Wouldn't well, it seem amazing to us that Elijah, for whom we picture as a macho prophet of God without fear, we would have expected for Elijah to have responded to the messenger of Jezebel about his threat of life maybe with some laughter or disdain. Are you kidding me? Have you met my God? Have done, listen, you want to come and take my life? Take your best shot because I know who my God is. You might have expected him to say the same God who fed me for those three and a half years in the famine, the same God who gave life to the one who was dead, the same God who brought fire down the altar of the mountain, the same God who sustains me every day. That God's the God I'm going to trust. Wait, here, I can hear the rain right now raining because God sent the rain after the three and a half year drought. You're going to threaten my life? I believe I'm good. Boy, that might be how we expected Elijah to respond. All the reasons we have listed are the, his depression are true, but the bottom line, Elijah was scared. He's running for his life. Now, let's not be too hard on Elijah. We see and we know more than Elijah. Jesus, God incarnate, came down from heaven, came and lived amongst us. We 
He gave his life for all of us. He died and rose again. He transformed your heart and mind, gave us new life and eternal life. Yet whenever personal threats or physical threats or even political threats come our way, sometimes because of a lack of faith, like Elijah, we run in fear. You know, I think we can identify more with Elijah in this season of life probably than any other part of the episodes in Elijah's life. In fact, we remember in James, where it talked about Elijah, James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Have you seen the new summer movies that are coming out this summer? Well, I say that because we think Elijah might have been a little bit more like Indiana Jones or maybe like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 57 or whatever number is coming up. But he wasn't. What does the Bible tell us? <laughs> He's like us. But there's always a choice. Will you keep the faith even when emotions and circumstances fight against you? Elijah seems to have remained faithful in the past. There's an often repeated phrase 1 Kings 17 and verse 2 says, And the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, Elijah obeyed. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, and he obeyed. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and Elijah obeyed. Then in chapter 18, there seems to be no indication that Elijah is waiting on a word from God. It's not until he gets alone down in the desert and prays to God. But it's not like it is under other prayers. But you understand, don't you? A prayer focus on God versus a prayer focus on self. Is there such a thing as a bad prayer or a selfish prayer? Apparently there is. In fact, Jesus gave us the example of a selfish prayer in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 and 12, where it says two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That is a self-focused prayer. Then Jesus gave the example of a God-focused prayer in verses 13 and 14, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Elijah, on the other hand, who the New Testament tells us is our example of a fervent prayer. On this occasion, he does not exalt himself, but he certainly does not exalt God. His is a prayer of self-pity, and woe is me rather than one of faith. He does give this good example for us. He tells God exactly how he feels. Only he does it at the end of his journey. He only does it when he's at the end to his lowest place. It's okay. Tell God exactly how you feel. He knows anyway. But don't wait until you're at the very lowest point. In fact, tell him now. Tell him when you begin to feel worried or depressed or anxious. Well, better yet, have an ongoing conversation with God so that he's not surprised to hear from you. But as you tell God exactly how you feel, pray in the will of God and watching for God. Pray in the will of God and watching for God. For you see, prayer is not getting God to get in on your plan. Prayer is getting in on God's game plan. 
1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 helps us with this and said, This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. That part about according to his will speaks volumes. This is how I feel, Lord. Now what do I need to do, God? And seek to submit to his will in all things. For you understand, don't you, the difference between the spectacular versus the still small voice. While he slept under the broom tree in the desert, the angel came and provided food. The angel touched him. He awoke and he ate the bread and the cake and the water and went back to sleep. The angel woke up and told him, you're going to have to eat more than that because you've got quite a journey ahead of you. You better eat some more. And he did. And upon that food, he traveled from that place to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, the very place in which Moses received the Ten Commandments. Until the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem and the temple was built, all the people of God considered that the most holy place on earth was Mount Sinai. For 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah, Elijah traveled to Mount Sinai. Probably would not have taken him that long to have gotten to this very place, but as God led him, surely it was to remind him of the ones who wandered in the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness and surely of God's faithfulness. You ever think that God may allow you to go through a certain season of life or journey just to let you know that you don't want to stay there? Or that you don't want to be on any journey or pathway or anywhere without Him? Elijah goes into a cave and he waits on God. And then in verse 9, that phrase that had characterized Elijah's relationship with God was there again. It says, The word of the Lord came to him. This is a sure sign that Elijah is getting back on track. And God had never left him. And God asked the question, What are you doing here, Elijah? God knew why he was there, but Elijah needed some self-evaluating. He says, I, I've been very jealous for God. Word that also means zealous. But the people, they've thrown down your altars. They've been unfaithful. They've killed your prophets. and I'm the only one left, and now they're out to kill me. So, gee, I thought I'd get away. In other words, he said, Lord, I'm having a pity party. Won't you notice verses 11 and 12 how the Lord answered? It says, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Now, don't take that very lightly. It was on this very same mountain that Moses asked to see more of God and see the glory of God. The Lord put him in the cleft of the rock, and the Lord passed by. Very same mountain that Elijah is on. But there's something that the Lord wants you to know, wants to reveal to you today, even from this passage, and that is this, that he is present. He wants you to know that he's present, and today the Lord has made his presence known. Again, in verses 11 and 12, after he said the that the Lord passed by, it says, And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in the pieces of the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Here's what God wants you to know today from this very passage. And he wanted Elijah to be reminded of it as well. He is powerful. Look at what the Lord can do. But the Lord was not speaking to him in the wind or the earthquake or the fire because he wanted him to know something else. So the Lord must want you to know something else. Not just that he's present, not just that he's real, not just that he's powerful, but he also wants you to know that he's not far away. 
Notice that the very last part of 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 12 says, After the fire there was the sound of a low whisper. You know, in order to hear somebody whisper, you've got to be really close to them. God was really close. King James Version says, After the fire a still small voice. The New Revised Standard Version says, And after the fire a sound of sheer silence. He's personal. He knows you. He's called you by name. He knows where you are. More important than you and I understanding Elijah, which I think we probably do understand Elijah and the things he's going through, more important than that is that God understands. And he wants you to bring you to himself. And like Elijah, the Lord is not through growing you and working in and through you. Did you see Jesus in the passage? Go, go ahead. Take a look again. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 7. It says, And the angel of the Lord came again. You know, all other references to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, appeared to Elijah. Hey, it's not the only time that Elijah sees Jesus in person. In the New Testament, Moses and Elijah were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen, I had to read that passage several times and ask the question, is this Jesus in 1 Kings 19? Then I realized if Elijah can appear and be with Jesus in the New Testament, then Jesus can appear and be with Elijah in the Old Testament. If for no other reason than to remind us, those of us who are New Testament followers of Jesus, he will never leave us. Wake up. Pay attention for the Lord is at work. He has what we need for the journey. But there's something about Elijah in mountains. He was on Mount Carmel when the great fire came down upon the altar. There he is on Mount Sinai when the Lord makes his presence known, speaks in a still small voice. He's with Jesus in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration. However, you understand, don't you? The difference between mountaintop versus ministry. Mountaintop versus ministry. Jesus said in John 10, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Can I tell you, abundant living's not going to be had on the mountaintop. It's in something else. It's in someone else. It's not found in looking for the next emotional or even spiritual high or even living through exciting worship services alone. There are times and periods for mountaintop experiences, but as Elijah found out, sometimes the most dangerous places are coming down the mountain. But there's a biblical pattern here that we're going to look at very quickly that we have already talked about in this passage you follow along a biblical pattern for abundant living. The first thing is eat. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. While eating disorders, eating too much or not enough, sometimes accompany depression, Elijah had to be told twice to eat. We're told Jesus is like the manna from heaven. He is our daily nourishment. Daily communion with him and his word is essential to stay the course. Sleep. Jesus said, I will give you rest. Again, sometimes sleep variations have something to do with depression. Some people can't sleep when they're anxious. Other people cannot get out of bed. Somebody said a good night's sleep can sometimes be an example of a person who is trusting in the Lord. Too much sleep might be the opposite. Jesus said, bring all your heavy burdens to him. Trust him. Discovering how to do this and putting this trust into practice is key to your abundant living. Also, search. The Bible said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Keep 
asking, seeking, and knocking. Elijah had to go on a journey that probably was not a very pleasant journey. He looked for God. He looked for him in the wind, but he was not there. He worked for him in the earthquake, but he was not there. He worked for him in the fire. Finally, he heard from God in a still, small voice. Don't give up the search. Not meaning the search for the secret of life or the meaning of life, but don't give up the search to know Jesus more. Conversation. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Consider for just a moment, hang with me if you can, because I want you to consider the importance of this prayer conversation. Mark chapter 1, we find Jesus got up early in order that he might be able to pray. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus dismissed the crowd so that he might be able to go and pray. Luke chapter 9, he ascended to a mountain so that he might be able to go to pray. Matthew chapter 6, he gave us the model prayer. Matthew chapter 21, he cleansed the temple so that other people might be able to pray. Luke chapter 22, he stepped in the garden so that he might be able to pray in John chapter 17 he prayed for us and from the cross he prayed for the entire world how are your conversations may we follow the example of Jesus now here's the part of the story I don't want you to miss golly I've brought you a long way so that you might not miss this part right here God is not through with Elijah in fact in the remaining verses of this particular chapter he says you need to go to the king of Syria anoint a new king Need you to go and need you to anoint a new king of Israel. He said, I need you to go find that young man by the name of Elisha who's going to be the next prophet of God so that you might mentor him. You know, we're going to be talking in the weeks to come about Elisha. We're also going to be talking about the next generation, all the things that they're going to be facing. My goodness, if this generation is facing the thing, what could the next generation be facing? But at the same time, just as the greater days for Israel were ahead, the greater days for this world are ahead. They're going to be in the next generation. And we want to be able to help prepare them for that very thing. So here's the thing that you need. It's assignment. Assignment. And you shall be my witnesses, Jesus said. You have an assignment today. Go into all the world. Make disciples of Christ. Listen, the key to combating depression, anxiety, and worry is not just, you know, I just need to be happy. I just need to be joyful, though joyful is a fruit of the Spirit. In order that we might be able to find those things, it is because we realize that we are on mission. That we are a people who have an assignment, that God has a plan, that whatever you're going through, nothing's wasted in God's economy, and He's going to use it for your good and for His glory. We recognize that. With the Lord's help, we can do all things. We can continue to grow. We continue to go forward in His name. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for this opportunity to come into Your house. We thank You for all that's taken place from the Songs that have been sung and praised, prayers that have been lifted, proclamation of your word. We know that you continue to be at work. And we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to join you in your good work. We pray, Father, that we might recognize that whatever we're going through today, that you have an assignment for us, that you want us to be on mission for you. And Father, I pray for those who are gathered today, those who may be listening, maybe those who are going through a particularly difficult time today that need to understand that you're close and that you are near and that you have plans. Father, help us to join in in your plans. If there are those here today, someone who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, 
maybe even our Old Testament story of Elijah that also lets us to be, get a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe a time they're ready to turn their heart and life over to you by asking forgiveness of sin and asking Christ to come in. We know you're going to continue to be at work. We thank you, Father, for that. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers.